This is the FOF Podcast, where we help match you with resources for your sexual trauma healing journey to increase your confidence and handle life the freak out free way. We are Claire Horner and Dr. Sadal Jones, two sexual trauma specialists and resource matchmakers committed to your healing and ours. This podcast matches you with resources for sexual trauma healing to increase your confidence and handle life the freak out free way. So who are we? We are sexual trauma specialists and fellow warriors. To heal our own trauma while helping others do the same, we've dedicated our professional and personal lives to healing. But that doesn't make us more of an expert on your healing journey than you. There is nothing not hard about healing. And we want peace and safety back in our lives. Let's do that together the freak out free way on the FOF podcast. Welcome to season two of the FOF podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about male sexual trauma in the episode titled Untold Wounds, the Male Sexual Trauma Experience. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the FOF podcast. I am Dr. Sadal. And I'm Claire. And today we have a very heavy topic. I think all of our topics tend to be um, or have the potential to be pretty heavy, but we're going to talk about men and the sexual trauma healing journey and what that looks like from the male perspective. And so we're going to cover a couple of things and open up some spaces so that we can allow you all to share with us in the comments your perspective as well on sexual trauma healing of men. What Claire and I used to do without you all is we used to take a moment of silence prior to starting our recording of the podcast. We actually do it before meetings and we do it before we record. What we're going to do now is we're going to let you guys join in on that moment so that everyone can be on the same page in the same space as we begin to talk about these things. So Claire and I are going to take about 10 to 15 seconds, not long, for us to take some deep breaths and prepare for the great topic we have ahead. Let's just all get here together. So let's get started. Let's get started on this topic. So as you all know, Claire and I have conversations often (laughs) about different topics surrounding sexual trauma healing and resources and the journey for sexual trauma healing. And one thing that we want to focus on this season for season two is making sure that we are including and being really intentional about including topics that are not always discussed. One of those topics is the male side of sexual trauma healing. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. There's so many other areas that we could discuss, and we'll probably name a couple of those towards the end, but there's so many areas that we're going to discuss. And so we thought it would be really good to have a foundation of the conversation, starting with definitions, impact, touching a little bit on toxic masculinity and systemic barriers and things of that nature to start the conversation so that for those who are not familiar, you can be familiar. And then also it starts the conversation so that you can begin to think about maybe yourself or someone that you know that you can probably provide some assistance to or some guidance to or resources based on this conversation. So we're going to get started first with some definitions of sexual abuse and sexual assault, and then we'll go from there. All right. So first of all, y'all, on Fridays, when we record... (laughs) 
it is time for maintenance to show up and blow off every effing surface outside for sure. my place. So that is what is happening. If you hear some lovely blowing noises. If you hear the blowing lawn care in the background. Lawn care. So why are definitions important here? So for me, you know, we're today we're talking about the male side and why just male? Well, in order to talk about S trauma at all and healing, you know, sexual violence does not discriminate against, I mean, it discriminates against all people, all genders. Sexual violence itself doesn't discriminate, but people utilize their power in so many different ways against people of all genders. So we want to raise that awareness here on the FOF podcast. And we want to identify how all people, all genders experience mass trauma. So that's why these definitions are important because sometimes some groups don't recognize when they're part of a community or part of a group or that something has been their own experience. So that's why we're laying, laying these down. So I'm going to start with ACEs. If you haven't heard of ACEs, it's ACE is the adverse childhood experiences scale and it's zero to 10. And it's how many experiences a child has in these different categories of abuse and neglect. And sexual abuse is just one of those. And the higher your ACE number the more likely you are to have symptoms or to potentially have PTSD or CPTSD and chronic symptoms that show up in your, you know, your day-to-day life. So we're not going to go too far into that. We could do a whole episode on ACEs. There's so much good research. There's great TED Talks on ACEs. It's one of those things that I lead people to go check into, like go read up on it, go listen to people talk about ACEs and and see what you feel like fits for you and your experience. So when it comes to abuse and assault, abuse can be in different categories. We can have exposure or witnessing of, in this category of sexual violence, perpetrated against another person, exposure to information or graphic material. There could be direct physical intrusion into your space. Obviously that includes the body itself. Being taught sexual things earlier than the developed brain can really process. There's so many young kids who are either exposed or witness or physically abused that there's no context for where to put that. And when you have adults that are the perpetrators describing or, or telling that child how to, where to put that, now you've got disrupted reality going on. Another category might be, you know, the use of power. And that typically plays a role in all of these things. And an area that I and and I'm sure I'm sure Dr. Sadal has heard plenty over the years is when there are sexual acts or behavior that are being quote unquote 
taught by um, an adult to a child or a minor under the umbrella of this is for your education or this is for your own good or this is something you need to know in life. But when it's under that context, it's usually presented in a how, you know, if you're talking about how the movies portray things, it's usually not in a violent manner. Right. It's not full of loud noises and. And it's not from a stranger, right? Exactly. It's usually from a familiar person, someone you know. It's usually someone that you actually trust, which then creates another level of confusion in definition and defining this as a sexual abuse. Right. And if that person is in the same context saying like, this is how you brush your teeth Mm -hmm. and this is how you do this sexual act. If the manner is the same, if the tone is the same, if the message of intention is the same to teach you, there's no context for a child to be able to distinguish that this is abusive. This is in a context that is not well, hello, not healthy. I, I mean, there's so many. Goes without so many saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, we hope it would go without yeah, saying. We, we hope it goes without saying. Listen, the explanations that perpetrators and pedophiles use are astronomically ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But they will tell it to you in a very calm, like, duh, of course, this should be a thing. It's so backwards. Okay, moving on. So... Assault. So we decided, or I decided to pick more of a legal definition. And so I'm I'm just really going to read that to you because I like how it clarifies between assault and battery. So assault is usually an attempt to harm another person or make them fear bodily harm. Again, assault is usually an attempt to harm another person or make them fear bodily harm. Battery is intentional physical contact that is offensive or harmful. Battery is intentional physical contact that is offensive or harmful. However, battery doesn't necessarily need to cause actual harm to the victim. I'm going to read this slow. (laughs) Many types of non-consensual contact can constitute battery. And this is just simply from lawinfo.com. So no, no massive citation there. Mm -hmm. Not your personal definition. It's the definition that was given. Mm -hmm. Right. From, from the legal side. So that's some context. We have ACEs, we have abuse in the context of exposure or direct harm or the teaching of, or exposure. Already said that five times. And then we have assault versus battery. And, you know, the, the extra thing that's important about this is, you know, why are these definitions important? But there's also the impacts on reporting. If you don't classify something as abuse, if you don't classify something as an adverse childhood experience, if you don't classify something as assault, you're not going to report to anyone. I was going to say, what is it to report if you're not thinking of this as an issue, as a concern, as something to report? 
Right. right. And I think that's significantly important for the male side of sexual trauma because that tends to be what happens, right? If if I'm a male and I'm thinking of what's happening as a teaching moment, then I'm not thinking of it as abuse, right? And I'm not considering the possibility of there being traumatic impact on me. Right. Let's take the topic of sibling or kind of family or child explorations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, playing doctor, so to speak. And so I want to take two seconds on that, which is just to say that some of those experiences are not necessarily traumatic. They can mm-hmm. be traumatic. They don't have to be traumatic. The clarifying difference often is, is power being utilized in the relationship Is there a power differential? And there can actually, this is an important note, that children who are younger can actually have more power in a family than an older child. I don't know that I've ever heard that talked about. I think it's also important to think about how the power is utilized. So is there power, is there a power differential, right? Whether that is hierarchy in the family or seniority in the family, but then also how is that power differential being used? As therapists, we kind of know as therapists that you're being aware of the power differential between you and a client, but in a family, there's a power differential. And sometimes it's not by age. Sometimes it is by hierarchy. It is by the favorite. It is by the, you know, the one that's looked at as the one that knows more, that knows better. So it does depend. And the reason I point that out is because As we're talking about this topic, it's important to know that it could be where, well, I was the older sibling, the older cousin, the older person. However, that does not mean that someone younger than you did not take advantage of their position in the family and make threats to that attempt, right? Make threats to that that side and make you fearful of consequences in some way. Exactly. Being ousted, being on the outskirts, not being included, whatever that, whatever that looks like. And we make assumptions. There are stereotypical power differentials. There's so much talk about male power and, you know, female, what word do we want to use? Being out, outpowered by, by masculinity. But in certain scenarios, let's take a female babysitter Mm -hmm. and a male child who's being babysat, you know, Mm -hmm. let's say she decides she's going to teach something, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that can absolutely be abusive and traumatic. Yes. Even if there's no physical contact, how many times in families, because sometimes sex education is such a taboo, how many times are cousins or family members or neighbors or, you know, friends sitting around piecing together mm-hmm. <laughs> sexual content and, sex- and sexual identity? And what does this mean? And what is that? And show me yours. I'll show me, you know, show me yours. Mm-hmm. I'll show you mine kind of a deal. Right. What I was going to say is that it brings a, brings up that space of um, the myths about sexual assault and sexual abuse in men and in males and why, going back to what we talked about earlier, what you mentioned earlier, the reporting and the how that that's decreased. But that's because there are myths about 
one, there's myths about who can be sexually assaulted. And then there's myths about who can be the perpetrator, right? So I I like to think about the myths as if anyone can be assaulted, then that means that it doesn't matter whether the male was aroused or not aroused, right? That is not an indication that there was no assault there. Arousal is a biological reaction that has nothing to do with consent or desire or any of that. That's a biological reaction. And so I oftentimes have heard comments that, well, no, there's no way that the male was sexually abused because there was arousal arousal, or there was a climax or whatever the thing was. And so that's, again, using the the maybe education or the power differential to say, well, that was, if you didn't want to, then you would not have been aroused, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think talking about that myth, because that's something that we don't necessarily talk about very often. And it's also used in a way of male perpetrators, right? A male perpetrator and a male victim or survivor, the idea is that, well, if you did not want that, then you would not have been aroused. Or that there's an implication of sexual identity based on the arousal, which again, are not accurate assumptions or indications. Again, these are topics that aren't necessarily talked about, but I think it's important to point out and to bring up because when we're talking about sexual abuse and we're talking about sexual trauma recovery, and we're thinking about making sure everyone is included, we have to talk about why everyone isn't included in the conversation, right? Why aren't men as highlighted, for lack of a better word, as much as we highlight female or women who are sexually abused? whether that's male or female perpetrators. And let's take a moment because there may be some, there may be some of you right now listening that are like, whoa, 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 what, wait, what? Hmm? Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, I'm stuck on the word arousal and I can't Mm -hmm. get past it. Or I, I, I I don't even know what you're saying because Mm -hmm. I've always made the assumption that if I was aroused, then I was consenting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. That is not how that works. It's not how any of that works. Absolutely. It's not how any of that works. No. And that's the purpose of this type of conversation really is to provide that information and to open that door of conversation about the things that people don't talk about. Right. Again, if you don't classify something as sexual violence, it's not going to occur to you to name that for yourself much less to tell someone or, and even less to report it as a criminal act. Mm -hmm. That is not that it doesn't come into the awareness. How many times do we hear, and maybe it's not around sexual trauma. Maybe it's not, it could be around other things, but this idea that it was what I knew growing up, Mm -hmm. these things, X, Y, Z, This is what I knew to be normal in my house. Mm -hmm. And I thought as a child, this was normal in every house. But now I am coming to understand that that is not what everybody experiences. I didn't realize that that doom and stomach churning dread I felt every time I went to sleep at night or every time I closed the door and got in my bed and didn't know what was going to happen that night. I didn't know that wasn't what every other child was experiencing. 
Or I didn't know that every time this person comes around or every time I go to this particular home in the family, because when you think about childhood sexual abuse specifically, there is a there's a place, sometimes there's a place specifically that these things happen, whether that's in your own home and bedroom or that's at a family member's home or a, unfortunately, school or religious space that you're in, whatever, or a person, right, is connected to that trigger is connected to a person. So when there's family gatherings and when there's things like that happening and those people come over and they're the loved people in the family and you're Mm -hmm. expected to show and display love to those folks, but your experience with them is not always loving, right? Exactly. And this just occurred to me, there is a whole category of even sexual abuse that happens out in the open around other people. Mm Mm-hmm. That's another topic. That's something that isn't discussed very often. Um, I have several scenarios coming to mind that that aren't aren't best to to repeat and aren't mine to repeat. But there are situations that can happen out in and among other people that because no one expects something that horrific to be happening in the public space. There's a blindness Mm -hmm. that happens. There's blindness that happens in family, period. There's Mm -hmm. blindness that happens in religious environments, period, because there is an assumption of safety. Mm -hmm. We have to break that. Mm -hmm. And that there's also for children, I'll say, and I've had this conversation on other podcasts and Claire and I've had this conversation before. There's an assumption of children and family that you're supposed to respect and love family, right? And so there's a space of like children don't have autonomy of their person and they can't say who they want to hug, sit on their lap, give a kiss to all those different things. There's kind of that, don't be mean. Oh, that's your aunt, such and such, or give your uncle a kiss on the cheek or come sit on your uncle's lap or come sit on your aunt's lap, or you want to go to your favorite aunt's house. And there's not a recognition that when children say no, they're they're saying no, either they're not comfortable for whatever reason, or there's actually something happening there that is not okay with them. They may not even know why it's not okay with them, but they know that it's not okay with them. And as parents, we have to be very mindful and allow our children to have autonomy over their person, right? So that they can say, I don't want to give uncle or aunt such and such a kiss, and I don't want them kissing me. I don't want to sit on uncle or aunt such and such lap. And that should be okay. It should not be frowned upon. There should not be punishment for that. That goes back to that space of the things that we have in place and the systems that we have in place that perpetuate sexual abuse of children. Right. We want to keep children's intuition intact. We Mm -hmm. want children to trust their intuition, their spidey senses, their bodies, Mm -hmm. their their the hair standing up on the back of their neck or mm-hmm. on the on their arms that we want them to trust that because mm-hmm. then they will trust that going forward but if we try to detach them from that natural intuition the likelihood that they will not accurately assess their environment and be in dangerous situations going forward is is much higher they're much more likely to not assess dangerous situations accurately. Mm-hmm. If we don't start with the micro of your body is yours and you mm-hmm. get to decide. 
Right. So what I wanted to talk about too, as it relates to males, because that's what we're really talking about. And I know, like I said before, we can go on multiple tangents down multiple roads, as, as you guys can probably tell. But something else that I think prevents, hinders, or is a barrier to reporting, acknowledgement, and healing from the male perspective is the space of toxic masculinity and the space of how men are supposed to be, how men are supposed to behave and act, um, lack of emotion or lack of what is maybe deemed as too emotional, right? So there should not be a feeling of sadness, but maybe a feeling of anger. That space that men should, should show aggression and that teaching that little boys go through, I think is very dangerous for multiple reasons, but I think it's dangerous because what it teaches young boys and young men is that um, they should always be in control. And if for any reason they are not in control of something, then there's something wrong with them. Right. Right. So at any reason that, for instance, if they have been abused, then that's a sense of loss of control. So they're not going to admit that they were abused. They're not going to admit that they were assaulted because that means that they in some way did not have control. That's the assumption that they in some way did not have control, which then means that they're not masculine. They're not a real man. Why? How did you let that happen? I think that's a societal thing. I think that can be a cultural thing as well. And I think that that's a systemic thing that happens that prevents men from recognizing as boys from recognizing it, but men from recognizing as adults that these things have happened and that these things are impacting their behavior. It's impacting their ability to have relationships. It's impacting their ability to communicate. It's impacting their ability to deal with things. And so they may be increasing their toxicity with substances, you know, different things of nature. So there's a whole line of things that happen from childhood all the way through as it relates to toxic masculinity that impacts men and impacts males. And I think if we're not having those conversations and not allowing spaces for men to express themselves in other emotions other than anger, then it sets them up for not being able to heal. Right. And just to to back up, because I think toxic, there are some buzzwords here. There are some words that people tend to have very strong reactions to. And toxic masculinity, misogyny, feminism, mm-hmm. patriarchy, these are words that tend to come in, into this conversation. So I wanted to just take a moment, again, maybe of definition. And, and I do think that people can define things in different ways. I think there's historical definitions. There's influence of culture on some of these definitions. But where we're coming from today is that the systems and the culture that has been set up for from a lot of perspectives, especially in cultures where, and I'm be very careful about this, I, I, I hope, cultures tend to be centered around patriarchal or matriarchal systems. They just are. Mm-hmm. And when and everything can be taken to an extreme, all families can have rules that are based out of good intention and then they can go overboard. Right. And I think there are a lot of systems within the patriarchal system that were intended for maybe initially some people intended it to be a positive structure. Right. 
But then we get into the toxic masculinity piece, the way I envision it or see it is that there are these rules and definitions of what masculine is that again, may have been intended to empower, but are often used to shame and humiliate, embarrass, and otherwise bully boys into a framework that actually hurts them. Mm-hmm. And just to take a couple of these concepts and put them together, if a boy disengages himself from all emotion, emotion is data. Feelings are data. Just like your sense of heat and the stove is hot is data. Your emotions, your senses, your intuition is data that you need to assess a situation. If we cut that off and say emotionality is bad, then, or not masculine, then we've cut off a whole set of data that we need in order to assess situations. And so when I talk about When we talk about toxic masculinity, it's what are the cultural norms that are that actually perpetuate violence against the very people who it was intended to empower? I'm feeling a point blank period Mm -hmm. like coming on. Yep, that's it. The end. Mm -hmm. If you identify as male and you've experienced this, or even if you don't, if if you don't identify in the binary or if you are transgender, you know, that's a whole nother conversation because of how, how, how such violence is perpetrated Mm -hmm. against different gender groups. But these things filter into violence against everyone. Toxic masculinity impacts women, yada, yada, but that's not the topic of today. So we just (laughs) (laughs) wanted to highlight that toxic masculinity hurts men who are trying to name their own sexual abuse and assault within within their experience. Absolutely. So I think the other thing that we want to do is to encourage our listeners to, if it's you, name your own experience, be able to name it for yourself, having the definitions and being able to name it for yourself. If it's someone in your life, allowing the men in your life to be able to name it for themselves and creating a space where that is something safe that they can do without shame or blame. I think it's important for us to be able to name for ourselves, create spaces for others to name for ourselves so that we're not denying our emotion. Um, We're not denying our behaviors that we're having. We have better relationships, et cetera. Things that we've already talked about too. And we're able to have some power for ourselves. I think that's also going to be important. Understanding, even understanding triggers, things that we didn't recognize as triggers. But once you begin to name these things and acknowledge these things for yourself, then you're able to connect them to behaviors and triggers and things that go on around you that you didn't even recognize was a part of your experience. Whether you identified that experience as traumatic or not, you didn't identify that as a part of your experience. And that helps as it relates to the healing process. And as we know, when you're when you are healing from your experiences, it allows you to be in healthier relationships, a healthier communication, and allows you to be a healthier human, right? And I think that's really what what we want for 
not just the men in our lives, but for all, all, all of the folks in our lives. All people, yep, all people. All the folks. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's super important to recognize that you do not have to do anything with this acknowledgement. You do not then need to go talk to some, you can, we hope you do right. go talk to someone about it, but it's way more important in your own skin and your own brain and your own lens of life to name and acknowledge the experiences that you've had in your life in your own mind first. And in your own time too. Yes. Right. And in your own time. Cause again, there is our belief that you are your own best resources. So you know when it's time for you, you know when it's time to seek help, when it's time to say, use your voice to say what you need to say. And so there's no right or wrong way to do that. Our hope is that the information is something that you use as a tool to help empower you to do the thing that you need to do. But don't feel like you are required to do anything about it just by acknowledging it. I've known Mm -hmm. plenty of survivors who feel like, well, if I name it this way, then that's going to require something of me. It Mm -hmm. does not. It does not require anything. And it actually does more violence to not name, but not to name it for yourself because I, I, I mean, I can almost 100% say that you've got questions rolling around your mind, body, and spirit Mm -hmm. about these things. And your critical voice uses it sometimes Mm -hmm. your, you know, shame and blame and guilt gets tripped off about these things. But if you can name that this is partly where it came from, then you've got a landing spot for that. You know, you're an example of something that comes out of these experiences is your relationship with power and safety. Mm-hmm. And so even how you view the world is impacted by your experiences, even your physical, even ailments, the tension in your mm-hmm. body, the hyper awareness, the sexual dysfunction, maybe the headaches, the allergies, the perfectionism, uh, per- all oh. the things. Yeah. All the things. Mm-hmm. All of the things. the anxiety, right? The anxiety, the potential depression or possible depression. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't want you to be dismissing these things and not recognize that they're attached to some very important experiences in your life. Mm-hmm. And we also know that men are even more susceptible to substance use and abuse and to methods of taking their life that actually result in death. Those attempts actually do tend to, to be complete. That's the word completion is happens more often. So, you know, all of these things are related. Please, please, please. please. Okay. So obviously, obvi, there Mm -hmm. are so many topics that we could have gone into. We're going to list a few of those here. And then we encourage you to share with us what other topics 
around uh, males experiencing sexual violence that you'd like for us to talk about? Let's just kind of rattle some of these other topics off. Absolutely. So one of the topics that we could go or areas that we can go down is focusing on female perpetrators and what that looks like for uh, male um, survivors. And so I think of um, if you're familiar with the idea of Mrs. Robinson um, from the movie, The Graduates, or um, the several celebrities, but specifically, I think there was Terry Crews who talked Mm -hmm. about his experience as well. We can talk about Black men, childhood sexual abuse, which we touched on a little Mm -hmm. bit of childhood sexual abuse here, the secrecy of childhood sexual abuse and what that looks like from the male perspective. Mm -hmm. What do children learn about about keeping secrets? Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the impact of childhood sexual trauma on relationships. How many people have you dated that have had sexual trauma? Mm -hmm. Do two people who have a sexual trauma history tend to date each other. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What do those compounding traumas look like? Mm-hmm. We have another topic might be the impact of dismissing our experience. We've covered a good bit of that today mm-hmm. though. And then looking at men and sexual abuse and sexual identity um, or sexuality and how that impacts reporting acknowledgement and those are barriers to, to the healing process for men. Mm-hmm. We have church cover-ups. Hello. Mm -hmm. That could be a five-part, ten-part series. (laughs) Multi-part series for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A topic that I have, that I'm very um, passionate about around is college and corporate hazing. I connect it to, similar to gang initiations. Mm -hmm. It's an Mm us-them setup. And humiliation is part of the picture always. So yeah, so here, these are some topics. These are some, some, each of these with much depth to them. And we hope to, through interviews and, and through these topics over, over season two, to also circle back to, to some of these, at least one or two of these in conversations with, with others who either, um, either authors or, or we have some people in mind. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that we're there we're working on. So Yeah. And we'd like for you to share with us what you would like to hear us talk about as it relates to male experiences and sexual violence. We love to hear your comments. Um, we love to whether that's on our Instagram page or that's um, below the comments here on this podcast, so that we can provide information in a way that you want to hear it in a way that you feel it's going to benefit you. So we definitely want to hear from you as well. So let us know what are other topics you'd like to hear relating to male experiences in sexual violence. And if anonymity is paramount for you, you can also leave a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail on the, on the webpage, on the pod page for uh, freak out free podcast. Mm -hmm. And you can, let us know without, without your name, mm-hmm. without any identifying information, how important some of these topics are for you. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. See you next episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Follow or subscribe for notifications to upcoming freak out free resources. Reviews are always welcome. So we can keep doing what you enjoy and tweaking the rough edges. We would also love to hear from you. If you want your question answered live on a future podcast, 
Go to our webpage linked in the description and click leave a voicemail on the right side of the page or post a comment on Instagram under this week's episode at Reset Trauma Unstuck. <laughs>